So, some time ago, a rich cosmetics manufacturer retired. His products were very successful. His friends badgered him for the secret of his success. Year after year, he just jokingly refused. But finally, he relented. He said, in addition to the formulas that all cosmeticians use, I always added that magic ingredient to mine. Well, of course, his friends wanted to know what is that magic ingredient. They said, what was it? And he replied, well, I never promised a customer that my products would make them beautiful, but I always gave her hope. Hope, that's a powerful ingredient, isn't it? My friends, today's message is the message of hope. Indeed, the entire gospel story is the message of hope. As we read the Bible, we can find a message of hope in each of the episodes of Jesus' life. Jesus being born in lowly Bethlehem is a story of hope. Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness are stories of hope. Jesus' interactions and acceptance of those that society said, no, they cannot be here. No, they are wrong. They're sinners. They need to be pushed back. They need to be kept in their place. But that's not what Jesus did, right? Jesus accepted them. He accepted the outcasts. And those are stories of hope. <clears throat> Jesus with the disciples in the upper room, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the six hours that he died on the cross. These are all stories of hope. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, proving the power of God, remains one of the most powerful stories of hope. And our New Testament lesson today, describing the ascension of Jesus, is a story of hope. Now, our passage is found at the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appeared in and around Jerusalem for a period of 40 days. Yeah, another 40 days, right? Bible likes those 40 days, 40 years. During this time, Jesus took a stroll on a road to a village called Emmaus with two unsuspecting disciples. Jesus spent time with the 11 apostles and other followers interpreting for them prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus showed them that he was the fulfillment of of God's divine plan. Jesus even reminded them of the promise of power that the Holy Spirit would offer them. And then it was time for Jesus to ascend back into heaven. 
Jesus led this faithful group to Jerusalem to a site near Bethany, about a half a mile's walk. You know, a parallel passage in Acts tells us that the ascension occurred around Mount Olivet. While on Mount Olivet, Jesus raised his hands and Jesus blessed them. I imagine the entire group could see the nail prints in his hands. A reminder of the great love that Jesus has for them and has for the entire world. I mean, imagine what a stark visual picture the disciples carried with them after Jesus ascended to heaven. Their Savior standing before them with outstretched, nail-pierced hands rising into the air. And not only is he rising into the air, he's doing what? He's blessing them as he goes. That's, wait a second. Does this sound right? I mean, really, shouldn't the disciples be blessing and thanking Jesus for all that Jesus had done for them? The one who gave his life for the dejected followers was now giving them a blessing. I mean, Jesus was deserted by most everyone in this group. And now he blesses them? Well, let's be honest. If we know Jesus, it's just no surprise. This is kind of what he does. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is continually blessing people. And who does Jesus bless? Jesus blesses the children. Even though the disciples said, hey, this is an important man. He didn't have time for little kids. Jesus said, no, I have all the time for little kids because the kingdom of God belongs to them. When people would say, you know what, this Jesus, he really can't be from God because he doesn't hang around the elite. He doesn't hang around the the church, I'm sorry, the synagogue people. He doesn't hang around with the right groups. You know who he eats with? He eats with sinners, tax collectors, and he blessed them. He blessed lepers. I mean, the list here just goes on and on. It only makes sense that when Jesus physically leaves the earth, he would do so, offering a blessing. You know, my friends, we all need affirmation. We all need to feel wanted. We all need to feel that there's love, especially when there's tension in the family, when there's conflict with someone that we love. We really do long for reconciliation. When another's words and actions assure us that we are still cared for, how do we feel? Well, we feel better. And this is the message that Jesus wanted the disciples to remember. He was going to love them and he was going to love them no matter what. At the crucifixion, because the followers had lost hope, they abandoned Jesus. And they abandoned Jesus in his darkest hour. Experience in the risen Christ gave their hope, gave them hope again. And they overcame their fear and their desire to quit. I mean, had Jesus not been resurrected, 
I'm here to tell you, the disciples would have folded like a house of cards, right? I mean, it would have been over. They couldn't have gone on because what they did not have was what they needed, which was hope. They were in despair. I would actually go so far to say is they had a shriveled spirit because they had no hope. Or the hope that they had wasn't in the right thing. The hope that they had was in their own understanding. The hope they had was in themselves. The hope they had was in things of this world. Even after the resurrection, there had to come a day when Jesus ascended into heaven. And you know, and there's energy in this divine plan. The resurrection had restored hope. And although Jesus was leaving again, he was doing so with the promise that he'd return and that the Holy Spirit would come. Because of these promises, the disciples had no need to quit. They had no need to be in despair any longer. Because what did they have? They had hope. The disciples, after Jesus ascended back into the heaven, the scripture states they returned to Jerusalem and they did so with great joy. Their lives were forever affected by the life of Jesus. And now Jesus had conquered the biggest obstacle of all, the obstacle of death. And truly now they had nothing to fear. Just think, Jerusalem was the place where they lost all hope. And now right outside of Jerusalem, they are again filled with hope. Imagine with me in your mind, Jesus blesses, Jesus ascends, and then the disciples watch, and tears are running down their face. But these tears are not tears of despair. They are tears of joy. And then they parade from Mount Olivet to Jerusalem because Jesus' blessing energized them and they could face Jerusalem. They could face anything in life and they could do it with joy now because they had hope. Our passage states that the followers were continually in the temple praising God. That's powerful because it means they could not be deterred Now, the temple was not an isolated place. If you were in the temple and you were worshiping and it wasn't an actual service or a high holiday or something going on, there were other things happening. You know, there was all kinds of sacrifices taking place at the altar. There were priests going to and fro. You know, there were people that would meet out on the steps to have a theological discussion. There were scribes busy writing. And these followers of Jesus Christ, who just 40 days ago had been dejected, who thought it was all over, are now gathered in the temple with all of these other people, and guess what? They don't care. They're there with joy, and they're there praising God. They don't care what popular opinion might say about them. No, they worshiped. And so I want to ask you this question. Do you hang on to hope? 
Do you cling to the hope that's given you in Jesus the Christ? Do you claim that hope and do you do it every day? I mean, the example of, follower, of, of the followers of Christ in our lesson today is worth noting. Worship is not about the place, it's not about the time, and it's not about the externals that go on around you. Worship is about you and God connecting. I mean, how do you hang on to hope? Well, the answer is just this. You hang on to hope through worship. When you don't feel like you can take another step, when your life has become so difficult, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, what do you do? Worship. Why? Well, are you aware that if you have a problem and all you ever do is focus on that problem, does that make your problem go away? No. If anything, your problem will become bigger. If anything, your problem will become an idol. If anything, your problem will become the thing that defines you. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, are you supposed to be defined by your problems? Or are you supposed to be defined by a transcendent power that is given to us in Jesus Christ and comes to us through the simple thing called hope? You see, worship says there's two things you can worship. You can worship Jesus Christ, can worship God, or you can find interesting ways to worship yourself. We spend a lot of time in self-worship. We spend a lot of time in praying for ourselves, in selfishness, we pray a lot, spend a lot of time in looking at our problems, allowing our problems to define us and define everything about our world. And I want to say we've been given another way because worship draws us out of self. Worship makes us focus on God. You know, anytime we put ourselves at the center of our life, that sounds like what we're supposed to do, right? We should be in the center. That shouldn't everything else then just be kind of taken care of? And the answer for the Christian is the minute we put ourselves in the center is when all of our problems are going to start. The minute we take a step out of the center and we say, no, it is Jesus Christ who is the center of my life, then all of a sudden everything starts falling into place. And it all has to do with worship. Now, when I say worship, do I mean gathering together at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings? Well, yeah, I really do, but that's, it's more than that, all right? My friends, you can worship anywhere. You can worship in your car because you've got a song in your head and you just kind of keep singing it. Maybe you sing it just in your head or maybe you decide I'm going to sing this out loud because I'm in my car and there's nobody that's going to hear me. And that's how I feel right now. Matter of fact, 
maybe you would be so bold as to sing out loud even in church because you don't care what anybody thinks, just like the disciples did in the temple. You can say prayers of worship anytime. You can read scripture and let it take you to where God is leading you. I know what I'm saying is we can worship and should worship much more than we do because that's one of the ways that we're moved from despair and self-focus into hope and Christ-centeredness. Stop focusing on the trivial and start worshiping and focusing on Jesus Christ. True worship of our risen Savior always produces hope. There's a story that I like to use to explain this. A holy man is sitting in the doorway of his hut at sunset. His dog is stretched out at his feet, and a young man seeking spiritual direction approaches the older man. The young man asks, why is it that some who seek God come to the desert and are zealous in prayer but leave after a year or so, while others like you remain faithful to the quest for an entire life? The old man smiled and told the young man a story. He said, one day sitting in the sun with my dog, a large white rabbit ran across in front of us. My dog jumped up, barked loudly, and took off running after the rabbit, and he ran with passion. Some other dogs joined in, and they were attracted by my dogs barking across the creeks and up the stony embankments, even through thickets and thorns. Gradually, one by one, the other dogs dropped out of the pursuit. They were discouraged and frustrated by the chase. Only my dog continued in the pursuit of the white rabbit. The old man concluded, my young friend, in that story is the answer to your question. The young man sat in silence and then said, sir, I don't understand. What's the connection between the rabbit chase and the quest for holiness? And the wise man answered, you failed to understand because you failed to ask the obvious question. Why didn't the other dogs continue on the chase? And the answer to that question is quite simple. Those other dogs had not seen the white rabbit. Unless you see the object of your prey, of your passion, of your devotion, the chase will just be too difficult and you will give up. My friends, the disciples had seen and experienced the risen Christ and nothing absolutely nothing was going to keep them from worshiping God. Their hopelessness and frustration had been turned into joy. Earlier the disciples thought they knew God's plan, but when Jesus died, so did their understanding of who God was. And then the resurrection unfolded, and it unfolded God's greater plan 
God's plan of eternal salvation. And then they understood. And then focusing on Jesus, they were returned to hope, which led to joy. You know, in a Peanuts cartoon, you know, they're out playing baseball. And Lucy is in her typical position, right? She's out in left field with prayers that no ball will get hit her way because she's not really interested in catching. And so a batter comes up and hits the ball right to her. It is coming to her perfectly. It all, oh, it seems like all she has to do is just put her, her mitt in the air and the ball will just fall right in. It's perfect. And when the ball does come her way, it just drops right in front of her. She picks it up and she takes it to the pitcher, to Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown said, I really thought you were going to catch that one. I can't believe you missed it. And Lucy, as she gave the ball back, said, yeah, I really thought I was going to catch it that time too. But you know what, manager? When I looked up and saw the ball, hope got in my eyes. Have we ever had that? Hope gets in our eyes. You know, I kind of hope it does get in our eyes. I hope it goes more than just get in our eyes. I hope it gets into our hearts. I hope it gets into our life. In telling the story of Jesus, the intent is always a message of grace and hope. And it is my earnest prayer that the hope of Jesus Christ does get into your eyes, into your heart, into your very being. And that when you run into a difficult time this week, what are you going to do? Are you just going to focus on the problem or are you going to worship? Are you going to then say, you know what, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, but I know the one who does have the answer. And so I'm going to focus my attention, my passion, my power, my pursuit on Jesus Christ. Focus first on the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Everything else will fall into place. I pray hope gets in your eyes and in your heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.